Murder is defined as the unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. However, being charged and convicted of murder isn't always as simple as a definition. With that said, let's talk murder. Welcome, welcome, and I'm back at it again. What's going on? I hope all is well with you all. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Kisan. For those who may not know, Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Kisan is a crime-based podcast that takes an inside look at the crime from the side of the accused. In each episode, we go beyond the headlines and get up close and personal to the story via the words of the individual involved with the crime. Or I should say, charged with the crime. In this episode of Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Kisan, we're going to hear from James Howard. Mr. Howard was convicted a few years ago of murder and... It's interesting. Um, there was actually two trials um, for Mr. Howard. So let's get into the headlines. You ready? Our first headline comes from City News Service, and it was published February 8th, 2016 at 5.19 p.m. and updated August 28th, 2017 at 6.29 a.m. The headline reads, Receipt a man gets 56 years to life for girlfriend's 2012 killing. Let's talk about it. A man was sentenced today to 56 years to life in prison for killing his living girlfriend at their Reseda apartment four years ago. James W. Howard Jr. was found guilty in December of first-degree murder in the February 2, 2012 killing of Charlotte Matthews. It was his second trial. Howard's September 2013 conviction for Matthews' killing was overturned by a three-justice panel from California's 2nd District Court of Appeal. In its February 2, 2015 ruling, the panel found that the prosecution's argument involving the standard of provocation necessary for manslaughter was, was misleading in Howard's first trial, and that some highly prejudicial evidence, including his rather detailed sex messages with a transsexual man, had been improperly admitted. Howard testified during his first trial that he had killed his girlfriend in the heat of passion during an argument. Hold on to that. Matthews, whose throat was slashed, was found dead eight days after she was killed. Again, that's from the City News Service that was updated on August 28, 2017 at 6.29 a.m. Our second headline comes from the Patch website, um, the California Newswire Services news partner. The headline reads, Receipt a man who killed his girlfriend over an abortion denied appeal. Let's get into this. This was posted Wednesday, August 29, 2018 at 12.47 p.m. The California Supreme Court Wednesday denied a defense petition to review the case of a man convicted of murdering his living girlfriend at their Reseda apartment six and a half years ago. James W. Howard Jr. was convicted of first-degree murder by the February 2, 2012 killing of Charlotte Matthews, whose body was found eight days later. Howard admitted killing his girlfriend, but contended that he had killed her in the heat of passion because he believed she had been pregnant with his baby and had an abortion. He was initially found guilty in 2013, but a state appeals court panel subsequently overturned his conviction, ruling in February 2015 that the prosecution's argument involving the standard of provocation necessary for manslaughter was misleading in Howard's first trial, and that some highly presidential evidence, prejudicial, Evidence, including Howard's rather detailed sex messages with the transsexual, had been improperly admitted. Howard was subsequently retried and convicted again in December 2015 of first-degree murder and sentenced to 56 years to life in state prison. About three months ago, 
a three-justice panel from California's 2nd District Court of Appeal rejected the defense's contention that there was insufficient evidence to show premeditation and deliberation by Howard. In their 34-page ruling, the appellate justices noted that Matthews, whose throat was slit, would have had little chance to avoid the single fatal wound and that evidence of Matthews' conduct after the killing may constitute evidence of premeditation. Here, defendant failed to obtain assistance from Matthews while she lay on the bed gasping for air. Instead, he packed up his belongings and then spent 20 minutes exchanging text messages with the woman with whom he had a sexual relationship, arranging to see her in the coming days, the justice's ruling states. Ooh. Oh, all right. Two headlines. Two trials. One individual convicted of murder. Let's hear from Mr. Howard himself. And with that said, you know what time it is. Let's talk murder. So in speaking with Mr. Howard, here's what he had to say. What do you recall most about the morning of the crime? The thing I remember most of all was that I was going out to look for a job with my close friend Crystal, who I called my sister, because I was supposed to have a kid on the way. Two, what did you have planned for the day in general? That day, the plan was to go around looking for a job, and then after, just spend some time kicking it with Crystal, because we had, we had not seen each other for about a week or so. Three, the moments leading up to when the incident took place, what was going through your mind? At that time, I remember just being more angry than I have ever been before in my life. And also, I remember thinking that I got played like a fool. Four. The moments after the incident took place, what was going through your mind? After everything went down, I was in a state of disbelief. I couldn't feel anything emotionally, mentally, or physically. Five. What do you remember most about your trial, and why does this memory stick out for you? The thing that I remember most about my trials... I say trials because I had two of them due to winning my appeal for a retrial. It's all of the people who came to testify against me. I was close to all, most every one of them. But they spoke about me as if I was a monster that they were afraid of. The whole time. That memory sticks out for me because it shocked me. There were people who went out of their way to be around me. I knew then that the detectives and the DA would do anything to see me hang. What's your take on the evidence that was presented? The evidence in this case was mostly a smear campaign. They focused on making me look like a monster more than they focused on the actual case and what really happened that day. They didn't really care that someone lost their life and what led up to that terrible moment. 7. Do you feel your attorney had your best interest at heart? So I had two trials and different attorneys each time. They worked different. But I believe that they both had my best interest at heart. 8. Do you feel your attorneys did all they could do to defend you? I think they could have pushed a little harder to get me a deal. But besides that, they fought tooth and nail for me. 9. If you could say anything at all to the general public about this crime, what would you say? I would say that every life should be treated as if it was the only life. I know and understand what I have done. I did not have the right to do it. I didn't have a nice life. It was filled with pain and was very harsh. This is not an excuse at all. 
I brought it up to say that since I have been put through so much pain and hardship, I should not have caused others pain. I also believe that I will answer for my actions when Allah calls me for judgment. It's crazy, because I had this whole thing mapped out in my mind for this question. How I was wrong, and how I got tossed away like a dirty rag. But I can't bring myself to do all that. I do feel that I was not done right. They threw the book at me so that I would never be able to even have a chance to one day become a productive citizen. But the truth is, I did something no one should ever do. I took a life for no reason except my own flawed judgment. Question 10. How has life been since being incarcerated? I've chosen to work on bettering myself as well as doing all I can to help others. I've devoted my life to Allah in his straight path. I'm working on my AA in Islamic studies with the California Islamic University. I work with self-help groups. I am a GOG, I'm a GOGI community coach. I am a facilitator for victims impact groups. I, w I was a facilitator for CGA, Criminals and Gang Members Anonymous, as well as many other groups. I write letters to prison letters for our struggling youth and brothers against banging youth. I just try to do everything I can to make a positive change in this world. I know it won't change what I have done, but it just might stop someone else from going down that same dark road. And if it does, but just one person, then it's worth it. Whoo! Short, yet powerful. The words from Mr. James Howard himself. Let's get into this. So in this instance, we learned from the headlines that there was some questions around Mr. Howard um, potentially being a father and questioning if the party involved had had an abortion. We also learned from Mr. Howard himself that he felt like he had been played like a fool. So with this instance, you know, naturally, I wonder, I have to ask myself, okay, what would the approach, or what kind of an approach, what kind of a defense would this be? So we know Mr. Howard was convicted of murder, which we understand. I mean, I think that we can um, understand the mens rea. So obviously there's the intent. The intent comes with, or the I should say the implied intent for me comes um, with the factor of, like the panel said, not calling for help as the individual laid on the bed um, dying. The guilty act was the act in itself. I mean, the um, slicing of the throat. So we have the, the mens rea. We have the actus reus for this case. Now, let's talk murder. You all know, murder, the unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. Now, here's where my question comes in. As always, murder, the unlawful, premeditated, keyword being premeditated. Do you feel this was premeditated? Now, according to the appeals panel, they felt that the actions presented by Mr. Howard after the crime was committed could constitute premeditation because instead of him calling for emergency assistance he was it's um alleged he was in this text conversation with someone he had a sexual relationship with so that's where the charge for murder comes from now we have the reasonable doubt aspect so he was convicted 56 years to life well 
first of all, for me, I mean, 56 years is life any goddamn way. So, we have a life-to-life sentence. I mean, okay, but I'm going to digress. So, reasonable doubt. Because this hasn't been proven beyond a reasonable, reasonable doubt. Let's talk defenses. Defenses are plausible defenses. Let's get into it. Now, as always, as I always say, I'm still stuck on this whole premeditated. So, let's talk willful, deliberate, and premeditated. When it comes to murder, willful, as used in this type of statue, means a specific intent to kill. Thus, an intent to scare, to wound, or to even cause grievous bodily harm will not suffice. On the other hand, a jury is permitted to infer intent from the surrounding circumstances. So, okay, willful. Mr. Howard engaged in it. Could one infer it as willful? Okay, I'll say yes. Deliberation. Deliberation is seldom defined separately from the other terms in this type of statue, to the extent that it adds anything. However, it appears to require that the defendant act in a cool state of blood. Thus, when a defendant is dominated by passion or fear, it may be impossible for him to deliberate to the degree necessary to render him a first-degree murderer. I like that. So, with Mr. Howard, we, and we are... We are under the understanding that he felt like he played like a fool. He felt like the um, individual had aborted his child. Now, with that, you have to ask, could that be something so powerful that Mr. Howard would have been dominated by passion? And if so, does that mean that it may be possible for him to deliberate to the degree necessary to render him a first-degree murderer? I think that's what saved him because he was convicted of murder. And not necessarily first-degree murder. Let me be sure. Oh, no. His conviction was for first-degree murder. I take that back. So now, what you're saying is that the deliberation, the jury felt the deliberation was there, and that the approach of passion did not qualify. Interesting. I beg to differ. Now, by far the most difficult of the concepts in this formulation of first-degree murder of course, is what, you all? The premeditation. The term itself simply means thought of beforehand. Again, the term itself simply means thought of beforehand. The real problem lies in ascertaining how much beforehand the thought must have been formulated. The classic judicial language is that the time must be appreciable, but this could merely mean capable of being appreciated which can be a matter of seconds. Hmm. For example, an S.V. Missenheimer, North Carolina, 1981, the court held that some period of time, however short, before the actual killing will suffice. One court went even further, holding that any intentional killing qualified as a willful, deliberate, and premeditated killing. That was C.V. Ocero, Pennsylvania, 1976. So let's understand this. If the court went even further, holding that any intentional killing qualified as willful, deliberate, and and a premeditated killing, which then would allow it to be first-degree murder, we have to come back to the question of intentional. Was this killing intentional? Uh, Let's see. Intent to cause serious bodily injury. According to most jurisdictions, 
one who kills while attempting to inflict serious, serious bodily harm has demonstrated sufficient malice afterthought to be guilty of murder. Where murder is divided into degrees, this type of murder is generally denominated second degree murder. So we have to look at intent. Was the crime itself, do we get the intent from that? I think we can agree that we do and we understand that the intent can be shown based on the actions presented. Now, for me, it's the willful and the deliberation as well as the premeditated. Now, this is California. I don't know California statute, so I can can't can speak on it. But just for me, from a general perspective, the deliberation, the deliberateness of it, I don't know. I'm I'm still I still look to this passion, this passion element. Um. A man enraged because he feels paid like a fool. He feels like his um, potential child has been taken away. That can fuck with you. That that can put a man in a space of not being his normal self, I would say. Now, does that excuse the actions presented? Absolutely not. We all know. I believe in liberty and justice for all. And one who did the crime having to do the time. Now, with that... First degree murder, 56 years to life, you have to look at the factorials. Now, what was the evidence presented? So, Mr. Howard told us that a lot of people testified against him. A lot of his friends, a lot of people he was close with testified against him. What the fuck? To what degree? Like, so, I'm going to, in my mind, I'm going to infer that these individuals were called in as character witnesses. Now, they were called in as character witnesses because the state's attorney wanted to paint a picture of who Mr. Howard was as a person. They wanted to paint a picture of his rage and his anger and his inability to think rationally, so to speak, to a degree. So we have these individuals who know him well, who he is close to, who now come in and smear his character. Like he said, he felt like the evidence was a smear campaign. Now, from a physical evidence aspect, I mean, we have the crime in itself. We have the slicing of the throat. We have the delay in time where no emergency help was called. Now, the whole text messaging of the alleged transgender, or I don't, I, don't, I just, for me, that doesn't even matter, which I think is why the appeal was won because that um evidence not only could it was it um prejudicial, but it just it didn't fit. It didn't quite fit where we would take where they were taking the story. Let's stick to the facts and the fact of the matter is that the crime took place. Here's why you think it took place, and here's your evidence of why it took place and of why Mr. Howard should be convicted of first degree murder. Not who he was texting. Now, if you brought the text messages into question based on the timing, like, okay, once this crime took place, moments later he was texting, that's a time factor. The who, the what, and the why is not important. I think that does go to even more of a smear campaign because now... You're like, oh, well, he just did this, and then he turns around and texts his sideline booty call. Well, mm, though that, as though that may be so, I don't think anyone, and this is just me from a mindset perspective, I don't think anyone that just committed a murder that was not premeditated 
again, keywords, not premeditated. I don't think anyone who just committed a murder that was not premeditated is in their right mind immediately after the crime takes place. I think your zone, I just, I, the human element in me, I just think of when someone, like, you know, has an accident or when you fall or when you stub your toe or when you cut your finger, you're like, oh, wow, like, you're kind of, in this zone of it just happening and of the actions taking place. So I can only fathom something to the degree of taking a human life would have you zoned. And I don't think you would necessarily be just doing your normal actions. Like, yes, he sent some text messages. Maybe that was his zone. Maybe he zoned out and his phone was his comfort area or comfort item of choice. You know, however, again... If you introduce it as evidence from a time perspective, I get it. Let's let's talk time. Let's talk the element of time. Let's talk the actions immediately following the crime. Now, the who he was texting and what the conversation was involving, yeah, I think that took it to a different level. What do you think? I don't know. You think text messages with the let's go back to what it said. Hold that thought. So, according to the headlines, they quoted here. Defendant failed to obtain assistance from Matthews while she lay on the bed gasping for air. Instead, he packed up his belongings and then spent 20 minutes exchanging text messages with a woman with whom he had a sexual relationship, arranging to see her in the coming days, the justice's room states. So again, what the conversation was about shouldn't be a factor. Now, the timing element that the conversation took place for 20 minutes and no emergency um, assistance was called, I get it. I get that being admitted into evidence, but you went too far when you wanted to present this sexual tone conversation. That, for me, that was you, in essence, kind of forcing your hand as the state's attorney. Because now you're really, you're you're doing that, you're doing that thing, I don't have a name for it, but that thing where you give the jury more than they need because you know it's going to sway them a certain kind of way. That thing. That thing that you give them that causes them to think a certain kind of way about the person on trial because you know that we as people kind of sort of have preconceived notations and you texting sexual to, oh, so you sexting. So while the individual, unfortunately, is on the bed or wherever dying, you're sexting? Oh, no. That now, I feel, sways the jury's mindset because we're going beyond just the mere facts. Again, if it was just the time element, I'm with you. I'm here. Okay, I get it. But now that you bring the what of the conversation into the midst, oh, now you're playing grimy. Now, you really want to play around. No, 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 baby. That's why Mr. Howard won that appeal. Now, of course, we know he still ended up convicted. 56 years to life. Now, as you noted, or as I noted, Mr. Howard definitely um has this very upbeat, positive outlook on life. You know, it's crazy. Um, You know, I think, for me... For me, this is just me. Diamond Kisan, this is me. I think we see the justice system in a different light when it comes to Mr. Howard. Allow me to explain. Now, as we know, when it comes to a criminal case, there are two main questions. One, to what extent, if at all, has the defendant injured society? 
And question number two would be, what sentence, if any, is necessary to punish the defendant for his transgressions? Now, since the criminal law seeks to punish rather than to compensate, there should be something about each course of conduct defined as criminal that renders mere compensation to the victim inadequate. This follows from the truism that no human being should be made to suffer if such suffering cannot be justified by a concomitant gain to society. Now, with that, we understand that one of the purposes of punishment is the reformation. Without question, it is desirable for punishment to reform. Certainly, society gains and nobody loses if an individual who has transgressed against society's standards is rehabilitated. There is, however, serious difference of opinion as to the relative importance of reformation. Some believe that since criminals represent the worst in society, it is unjust to take tax dollars from those they consider more worthy to finance the rehabilitation of those they deem less worthy. Others believe that the reformation, while desirable, should be subordinated to other purposes such as deterrence. Now let's talk. I'm all for deterrence. I believe we definitely want to deter deter people from committing crimes. But we understand society. We understand that crimes happen. And when they do, I feel individuals should be reformed. I do feel that we are we as a culture, we as a society, have an obligation to try and assist others in wrong in writing their wrongs. And Mr. Howard is an example of that. So Mr. Howard is an individual convicted of first-degree murder and opposed to being sour and crying and blaming the world and blaming everyone else. Mr. Howard chooses to take his experience, take what has happened to him, and turn it into a testimony. Turn it into a representation of attempting to help the younger generation not go down the path that he went down. Is that not a gain for society? If someone who has fallen into the criminal um, law world and is convicted now takes their time and spends it, understands the wrong in their actions, doesn't look for or doesn't look to blame anyone for their actions, isn't doing the woe is me campaign, instead... They take what they did, combine it with what they have learned, and they try to flip it for the next generation to be better. That is a win for the person. That is a win for the criminal justice system. That is the criminal justice system working as it should. As well as, I feel it's a win for society. Um, definitely sorry that this young lady had to lose her life. That's nothing to... It's not a light subject, nor is it anything that should be taken lightly. And I'm sorry for Mr. Howard's family that they lost their loved one as he's now incarcerated for 56 years to life. And I'm sorry that society as a whole had to experience such a thing. We, you know, crime isn't something we want to experience. It's not something that we look to experience. It's something that happens, and we understand that it happens. And when it happens, we meet crime with punishment. And in this instance, the reformation of Mr. Howard is showing that the criminal justice system can and does work for those who are willing to work within what the system allows. 
He has joined groups. He writes letters. He has taken his detracting or detractor experience, I should say. And he's turning it into an opportunity to promote positivity and to push the younger generation to do right and to not fall in that path. I thank you, Mr. James Howard, for your willingness to allow me to share your story with the Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Kisan base. I thank you, Mr. Howard, for taking ownership over your situation and understanding the faults in which you played in the manner. I thank you for being transparent with what you feel you went through and what um, you've experienced. And I thank you for turning what is a, ne a extreme negative and trying to make a positive element come out of it by allowing the younger generation and those on the outside to learn from your story, to learn or to strive, I should say, to make better decisions, to not end up with 56 years to life. I thank you. I thank you for showing me that the criminal justice system and the reformation there within does work sometimes. I think I get caught up in um, such a defense approach for the accused and we look at the constructs of the crime and what the defense approach was and I don't often get to see the reality of the reformation and the reform in itself that works or see it working or that it can work when done right. So thank you, Mr. Howard. Now, I have to ask you all, it's time to talk. I need you all to talk to me. Let me know what your thoughts are. Let me know how you feel about this. Um, the crime at hand, the sentence at hand, the two trials, the reformation, the reform that Mr. Howard is displaying and has, has talked to us about. Intent. Let's talk intent. We're going to talk premeditation. Do you feel that the actions that took place after the crime are enough to show or to subject or warrant the premeditation factor being satisfied? Let me know what you think. As always, I invite you to have this conversation with me on social media, on Twitter at Let's Talk Murder, and on Instagram and Facebook at LTMWDK. Again, that's Twitter at Let's Talk Murder. Instagram and Facebook is LTMWDK. I'm Diamond Kisan, and we've just talked murder. Until next time, Stay safe and never be afraid to talk murder. Now, as we know, when it comes to a criminal case, there are two main questions. One, to what extent, if at all, has the defendant injured society? And question number two would be, what sentence, if any, is necessary to punish the defendant for his transgressions? Now, since the criminal law seeks to punish rather than to compensate, there should be something about each course of conduct defined as criminal that renders mere compensation to the victim inadequate. This follows from the truism that no human being should be made to suffer if such suffering cannot be justified by a concomitant gain to society.
Now, with that, we understand that one of the purposes of punishment is the reformation. Without question, it is desirable for punishment to reform. Certainly, society gains and nobody loses if an individual who has transgressed against society's standards is rehabilitated. There is, however, serious difference of opinion as to the relative importance of reformation. Some believe that since criminals represent the worst in society, it is unjust to take tax dollars from those they consider more worthy to finance the rehabilitation of those they deem less worthy. Others believe that the reformation, while desirable, should be subordinated to other purposes such as deterrence. Now let's talk. I'm all for deterrence. I believe we definitely want to deter deter people from committing crimes. But we understand society. We understand that crimes happen. And when they do, I feel individuals should be reformed. I do feel that we are we as a culture, we as a society, have an obligation to try and assist others in wrong in writing their wrongs. And Mr. Howard is an example of that. So Mr. Howard is an individual convicted of first-degree murder and opposed to being sour and crying and blaming the world and blaming everyone else. Mr. Howard chooses to take his experience, take what has happened to him, and turn it into a testimony. Turn it into a representation of attempting to help the younger generation not go down the path that he went down. Is that not a gain for society? If someone who has fallen into the criminal um, law world and is convicted now takes their time and spends it, understands the wrong in their actions, doesn't look for or doesn't look to blame anyone for their actions, isn't doing the woe is me campaign, instead... They take what they did, combine it with what they have learned, and they try to flip it for the next generation to be better. That is a win for the person. That is a win for the criminal justice system. That is the criminal justice system working as it should. As well as, I feel it's a win for society. Um, definitely sorry that this young lady had to lose her life. That's nothing to... It's not a light subject, nor is it anything that should be taken lightly. And I'm sorry for Mr. Howard's family that they lost their loved one as he's now incarcerated for 56 years to life. And I'm sorry that society as a whole had to experience such a thing. We, you know, crime isn't something we want to experience. It's not something that we look to experience. It's something that happens, and we understand that it happens. And when it happens, we meet crime with punishment. And in this instance, the reformation of Mr. Howard is showing that the criminal justice system can and does work for those who are willing to work within what the system allows. He has joined groups. He writes letters. He has taken... His detracting or detractor experience, I should say, and he's turning it into a opportunity to promote positivity and to push the younger generation to do right and to not fall in that path. I thank you, Mr. James Howard, for 
your willingness to allow me to share your story with the Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Keyson Bays. I thank you, Mr. Howard, for taking ownership over your situation and understanding the faults in which you played in the manner. I thank you for being transparent with what you feel you went through and what um, you've experienced. And I thank you for turning what is a, ne a extreme negative and trying to make a positive element come out of it by allowing the younger generation and those on the outside to learn from your story, to learn or to strive, I should say, to make better decisions, to not end up with 56 years to life. I thank you. I thank you for showing me that the criminal justice system and the reformation there within does work sometimes. I think I get caught up in um, such a defense approach for the accused and we look at the constructs of the crime and what the defense approach was and I don't often get to see the reality of the reformation and the reform in itself that works or see it working or that it can work when done right. So thank you, Mr. Howard. Now, I have to ask you all, it's time to talk. I need you all to talk to me. Let me know what your thoughts are. Let me know how you feel about this. Um, the crime at hand, the sentence at hand, the two trials, the reformation, the reform that Mr. Howard is displaying and has, has talked to us about. Intent. Let's talk intent. We want to talk premeditation. Do you feel that the actions that took place after the crime are enough to show or to subject or warrant the premeditation factor being satisfied? Let me know what you think. As always, I invite you to have this conversation with me on social media, on Twitter at Let's Talk Murder, and on Instagram and Facebook at LTMWDK. Again, that's Twitter at Let's Talk Murder. Instagram and Facebook is LTMWDK. I'm Diamond Kisan, and we've just talked murder. Until next time, Stay safe and never be afraid to talk murder. This is a Diamond Xan production.